What's up, everyone? Welcome in to another episode of Double Move Sports. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. His name is Mike Liu, writer for DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Say what's up to the people. What's up, guys? Welcome in. We're really excited. We're going to talk about some touchdown regression today, both in Dynasty and Redraft. Alex is here with us as well. Hey, guys. We're excited to have Mike here today. He's done some really awesome work around regression. He's an analytics guy, so hopefully he can provide some good fresh takes and then a little bit of perspective on Dynasty as well. Yeah, and I, I saw... Mike, you're on the hashtag team analytics side of the great film versus analytics debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm on the analytics side, but I, I mean, I still appreciate all the guys that do film and I'd still rely on it. It just so happens that like that's not my strength. So, you know, I'm better with numbers. So that's kind of where I lay. Absolutely. I hear you there. And we're going to get into those numbers here in a second. You guys can follow Mike at MikeMeUpP on Twitter. Again, writer for DynastyLeagueFootball.com. He's a proud Canadian. Hell Yeah. Representing Canada. To, to start us off strong here, before we get into some of the touchdown regression, Mike, can you give us maybe a favorite redraft strategy or a draft strategy? You know, you hear a lot of people talking about going RB heavy early, zero quarterback. Is there one of those um, new or old that you really like coming into to 2020 or maybe one that you used in 2019 that went really well? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to be a pretty stout zero RB guy. Um I love to like draft from the end of the draft, and that was just because like the RB craze was kind of hitting its highs um, in 2017 and, and even last year. Um, obviously, zero RB last year was was not a good strategy. I mean, I opened up a draft I remember with like OBJ and Juju Smith Schuster, so you can you can see that's uh, definitely not the ideal path. I think going forward in 2020. Um, I did like a recent ranking, my dynasty rankings for wide receivers, and the talent there is actually just so deep that it just doesn't make sense to go zero RB anymore. Um, so I think I'll probably be leaning more to a running back heavy approach at the top. And I never draft quarterbacks early, so I'm always waiting till like the double digit rounds to draft my first quarterback in single QB leagues. I'm with you there as well. And now, are you, when you're grabbing a quarterback late, are you looking for more of an upside ceiling play? Or are you going with more like a guy that's been like Phillip Rivers over the last couple of years where, hey, you know you can get him late. He'll be a decently consistent option at quarterback. What's kind of your philosophy with that QB that you'll take in the later rounds? My philosophy with QB, especially in redraft, is I only look at upside. I don't even consider the downside because if they don't work out, you just drop them and grab another one. Um, like in, in my eyes, like there's only like four or five maybe six like QBs that are really like every week starters. And then aside from that, you just like, I just basically stream. Um, I used to do a series for dynasty nerds um, for the QB start sits of the week. And I had like a pretty decent hit rate, like 70% on like hits and misses. So like, it's actually pretty easy to predict. Um, So that's kind of the route that I go. Um, I don't really care about floor. Yeah, that's good stuff, Mike. That's, um, we've heard that from a lot of other people. That's a really popular strategy these days, and, and obviously it sounds like it's worked out pretty well. So, Mike, you mentioned um, Dynasty Nerds there. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing background? How did you come in contact with uh, some of the different companies you've written for and, and kind of what got you involved in that world? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, honestly, I just started off on Twitter just engaging with people, just having fun and just, you know, sharing my opinions. Um, ended up talking with a few guys that actually work in the industry. And one of them, uh, his name's Garrett, is at Dynasty Price. And he's over at Dynasty Nerds. And super nice guy. Um, he was the one that actually gave my first shot. You know, he asked me if I wanted to try writing. Uh, obviously, I know th- nothing I've done before. Um, 
so I sent them a sample article and ended up just joining the team and, and writing with them for a while. Um, and I loved it over there, man. Dynasty Nerds is a great group of guys, smart dudes. Hilarious, hilarious podcast. If you guys are getting Dynasty, highly recommend you guys listen to it. Um, and then more recently, I moved over to DLF, um, who's it's like another really big Dynasty site. Um, and the, the reason why I moved over is because, uh, like I said, I'm team analytics, right? And But I still feel like I'm a little bit of a noob. Um, so there's a lot of pros and like a lot of like really like experienced guys from the analytics side over at DLF. And I want to just join that team and kind of learn a bit from him, uh, from them, sorry, um, uh, Peter Howdy being one of them. And then also I'm really good, um, a good acquaintances with, uh, Ray Garvin. Uh, I don't know if you guys are ran to him, but he's like a great dynasty, uh, and Devi film guy, uh, super hardworking, like he, a lot of respect for his work. And so I basically joined over to, to kind of work with them. That's awesome, man. That's that's a great story. It sounds like you know just being uh, being involved and active on Twitter and making some connections and networking here and there can really go a long way. So um, that's awesome. We hope to continue to follow you throughout your fantasy journey and see where it goes. And for all the listeners, if you haven't checked it out, check out Mike's Twitter at Mike Me Up P. He has a pinned tweet that has his regression. Um, analysis for both running backs and receivers. So we'll start with the running back group. And the first guy on our list is Aaron Jones. But before we get to Jones, Mike, do you want to talk about um, that process a little bit and kind of what you look at when you're looking at regression? Yeah, for sure. Um, So like the reason why I got into this is I think like regression is a topic that everyone talks about, but you know, very few of us actually really understand the the depth and all the different factors and variables that go into play. Um, and specifically, like you mentioned, Aaron Jones, like you know, he finished as a running back too. I was a huge Aaron Jones truther, but then like immediately after the season, or even during the season, like every week, you're just hearing like the regression talk, like he's going to regress to the mean, regress to the mean. And I just like for some reason I didn't think that was like the best way to look at things. So I wanted to try and break down his TD, like, um, his DD, his TD breakdown to see, you know, where it was coming from and what the different components are to see if there was actually regression. So what I ended up doing is breaking it down into a couple of key components. Um, the first one is TD dependency. And that just basically shows um, how reliant these guys are on scoring TDs for their positional ranking. Um, so I tried to look at what their ranking was with their total scoring and then what their ranking was excluding TDs. And that kind of gives you an idea of like which guys are open and like susceptible to TD regression. And then the next step I look at is what I call TD distribution. And that just looks at like how much of their TDs are scored within 10 yards, within five yards. Because as we know, like basically as you get closer to the goal line, your odds of um, your odds of scoring a TD actually go up. So like for example, in 2019, um, odds of getting a TD within 20 yards is 17.5%. Odds of getting a TD within five is 42.6%, and that's the average across the league for running for the top 15 running backs. So that's almost 2.4 times as much. So that's another component I look at because. I think that if you're always scoring these big boom bust TDs, like those are really hard to retain year over year. Um, and then from there, the last thing I looked at was uh, the red zone efficiency. So that was just looking at conversion rates within 10 and within five yards for both rushing and receiving. Um, again, just just like you basically want to see trends here where they're not performing way above expectations. Um, so I looked at that for uh, for all the 15 running backs. 
And the last thing I did was then I went into the individual breakdowns of the players, which we'll get into shortly. And the reason why I did that is because, like, in my eyes, there's no better comp for a player than their prior selves. Because that's the same player, they have the same skill set, they're on the same team, uh, with the same coaching staff and the same scheme. So for me, it's like it's a little bit weird when we try and compare like someone like Aaron Jones, who's obviously a really good player, against a league average, which is made up of good players and really bad players. So that's kind of the way I looked at it, and I broke it down into each of those components. And I think that's a great way to do it. And and I like what you mentioned there about comparing to the league average isn't really a great baseline to be comparing to because there's so much variance in that. But could you speak to what our thoughts are in this type of touchdown regression in terms of that volume. You, know, you think of a guy who's more of a goal line back, obviously he's going to be more likely to score than guy who's more of a scat back or a third down back. Can you talk about the volume aspect of this as well? Or are we just looking at that player compared to their, their previous year's performance? Um, yeah, so volume is definitely another component of it. Um, I think like just it's really hard to project volume, uh, especially for like the red zones uh, red zone red zone touches um but i think there's other qualitative factors that i try to consider um so one of those is how good of a run blocking offensive line they have and you can get that straight out of um, football outsiders um so i think that's one indicator that they do run a team would run more because obviously you have a better run blocking line you're, you're more susceptible to running it in within the red zone so you get more opportunity right that's one component and then the other component is how good of an offense that is because I think the more, uh, the better your offense is, obviously you'll be in scoring opportunities more and you'll have more carries within those uh, high leverage situations. Um, so I don't try and project volume in this because uh, I think it's like a really big shot in the dark. Uh, and I'm not really a projections analyst, but I think those are the ways I try to incorporate volume is by looking at some of those more qualitative factors and then looking at everything together in a more holistic approach to then determine like, hey, is this player actually going to be... Um, susceptible to TD regression going into next year. And yeah, I'm glad we, we addressed the volume side. And now with all of that covered here, let's go ahead and t jump into specific player breakdowns. The first one, as Alex alluded to, we're going to talk about Aaron Jones. Finishes the RB2 in PPR leagues. He was the regular season leader. He was tied in touchdowns on the ground with 16. That's with Derrick Henry for first. He also had three touchdowns through the air. A lot of people, like you said, right? Aaron Jones, touchdown regression, negative regression is coming for him. We saw, you know, since Matt LaFlores came into Green Bay, they've been giving it to Aaron Jones almost every time in the red zone, it feels like. Uh, talk a little bit about him. Is this a sustainable level of touchdowns? Where is Aaron Jones at when you're looking at 2020? Yeah, so if you look at Aaron Jones across those three factors I talked about, um, in terms of his TD distribution, he's pretty much in line um, with the percentage of his TDs coming in the red zone. So from that perspective, his touchdowns are actually pretty sticky um, because he's scoring from within 10, within 5. Uh, so where people point to heavy regression for him is on the efficiency side because he's, he's converting at a very high rate. Um, so if we look at his inside 10 rushing, he's converting at 57.8% which is way above the average for the top 15 players. And same thing for inside the five. But if you look at him, um, historically speaking, he's actually not that far above his, uh, his average. Because if you look at his career average of 2017 and 2018, uh, he is actually converting at an average of 66%. 
and in 2019 he converted at 58 percent so he's actually 10 percent lower than his average um on from within 10 and then he's about nine percent above average from within inside five so like from that perspective it's kind of like offsets right and that's why i wanted to dig into the player's past because like you know some guys are just they're just good at football and i think for aaron jones at least from what i've seen like when he's within five yards he's just like almost unstoppable um coupled with a really really good run blocking offensive line um green bay is uh top six uh, right now uh, in 2019, and they were seventh best last year. So he's always had a really good run-blocking O-line behind him. Um, it just so happened that before, like, McCarthy was kind of an idiot and just didn't want to run <laughs> the ball within five yards for some reason. Um, obviously, that's no longer an issue. They're relying on him heavily within the red zone. And as long as he's getting those touches, I think he's going to continue scoring a lot of TDs. Now, do I think he's going to score another 19 TDs next year? Maybe not, but... You know, 15, 16 is still like very realistic, and that's a very high number. So, when people say regression, I think you got to really, really think about it in terms of like how much they're going to regress. And when I look at Aaron Jones, because of all those factors that I said, like I think he'll regress, but I don't think it's some doomsday regression that everyone's calling for. Like, he's not going to go from, you know, 19 touchdowns to like 10 touchdowns all of a sudden in one year because like the opportunity is there, um, the run blocking is there, and from an efficiency perspective, he's just one of the best in the league. That, that's what we think about for, for Aaron Jones as well, right? We don't see him really taking a you know, handoff at the 50-yard line on first and 10 and taking that all the way to the house. He really does seem like a guy that just has a nose for the end zone when you get him down there. So I, absolutely, I, I think that is something that's reflected not only in the stats, but what you know when you look at the film and you're watching the game, that's something that you see as well. Yeah, yeah. Although he can break it from 52. You've seen him do that a couple of times. His 16 touchdowns actually came on just 236 carries. So breaking that down on the ground that's a touchdown every 14.75 carries which when we walk through some of the rest of these guys we're going to talk about today is far and away the best touchdown rate of the group he only played 61 percent of snaps in 2019 but we do know those probably skewed a lot heavier towards the goal line given the touchdown numbers that he had so a lot of really good points here, and I think we can't expect Aaron Jones to continue to, to be near the league lead in touchdowns moving forward. So let's go ahead and jump into the next guy on our list, and it's the guy that Jones was tied with for rushing touchdowns this season, a guy who has put the league on alert in the playoffs, and that's Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had 16 touchdowns this season on 303 carries. That's a touchdown every 19 carries. So, Mike, what can you tell us about Derrick Henry? Yeah, uh, first off, let me let me just say that I was so wrong about Derrick Henry coming into the season. Um, like He was someone that I faded and at my own peril, obviously, because he was an absolute monster uh, this year. Um, but having said that, um, I dug into his TD, his TD regression, and without a bias lens, I, I honestly thought that I was going to come out of this and say that he was similar to Aaron Jones and, and more sustainable from that perspective, um, but it didn't end up playing out that way, and... So if we just break it down into the components, first of all, TD distribution. Um, he scored only 55% of his touchdowns inside 10 and only 38% of his touchdowns inside 5. Now, to give you a sense for the top 15 average, uh, on average, the top 15 running backs scored 56% of their touchdowns within 5 yards and they scored 68% of their touchdowns within 10. So that's, that's one thing where... Uh, it's definitely a risk, and we know Henry is capable of big plays. You know, we've seen it uh, year in and year out. 
So he kind of gets a little bit of a pass there, but that, that's still a pretty big gap. Um, so that's one concern I have. And then the next thing is if we look at his uh, TD conversion rate within the red zone, he's also well above average. So inside 10, he's at 41.7%. Inside 5, he's at a 63.6%, which is the highest across all 15 running backs in the top 15. So from an efficiency perspective, there's potential regression. And then from a distribution perspective, there's potential regression. And as you mentioned, he's obviously very heavy, heavily dependent on TDs for his uh, scoring finish. So I wanted to dig into his past. And if I look at Derrick Henry, he is actually overachieving his own career average by, by quite a bit. Um, and part of that has to do with him getting better, because um, I can I can admit that um, after watching him this year, he's definitely become a more physical, uh, dominant runner. Uh, he, I remember when I was watching him in his first two years or so, he would always try and like juke guys, and I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're like 250 pounds, just just literally truck him over, and it seems to be doing that more and more now, and he's finding success. But even having said that, his historical average inside 10 is a 32% conversion rate. So he's operating at 10% above that this year. And then his historical average within five is at 42.9%. Uh, so he's 20% above inside five. So I think just looking at everything holistically for Henry, he's someone that I, I am worried about. Um, and if you do play Dynasty Leagues, um, he's someone that I recommend selling, just given the fact that he's also going to be entering his 27-year um 27-year season, uh, which is basically the fall-off cliff for, for most running backs. Um, so yeah, he presents a lot of risks, and you can probably get a really good return from him, especially given the dominant performance he's been putting on in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this man averaged 103 yards a game on the ground and a touchdown a game. You look at that, you say it has to be unsustainable, uh, but then again, he was the rushing yards champ this year. 1,500, you know, 1,540 yards total. We talked about his insane stretch of games over the last eight games. He has the record amongst all NFL history for most rushing yards over any eight-game stretch. He's absolutely dominating, but does sound like he's going to regress a little bit in the touchdown category. We'll see if that that comes into fruition. Looking at redraft, I know in Dynasty you said, hey, see if you can get a, a big haul for him. In redraft, you know, are you putting Henry in that, you know, three to five range behind like Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. Uh, I'm not just because I play I play mostly PPR formats, um, and if you think about this year, it's crazy. Like like Henry was the rushing champion. He scored a ton of touchdowns, and he still only finished as the RB five, right? And and ev- literally everything had to go right for him to finish top five. And that's just because he has little to no involvement in the passing game. Um, so his ceiling is capped compared to someone like Cook or Christian McCaffrey or Barkley or even Kamara or even Mixon, to be honest, um, just because they have a much higher uh, receiving volume. And then the other crazy thing is, I, th- I think it was J.J. Zacharyson, uh, the late-round QB at, on Twitter, he said Tennessee Titans converted on 31 of 32 touchdowns within the red zone that means they went to the red zone 32 times since Tannehill took over and they scored a touchdown 31 times and the next closest is like a four to one ratio so you can just see there's like a lot of things going against not only Henry but that offense as a whole Um, and then the last thing I'll add is 
early on before Tannehill took over, uh, when Henry was still scoring like a TD a game, if you watch how those TDs happened, it was basically like pass interference and then down at the goal line and then Henry would fall in. So it's like it, there's a couple, there's just like so many factors going against him and trying to repeat this performance. And even if he does, you're still looking at like a top five performance. So that's why he's not really in my top five, even for redraft. Yeah, fair enough. I like that. Let's go ahead and move on to another guy here. One you mentioned, Alvin Kamara finishes the RB9. Most fantasy owners perceive that as a huge underperformance from where they drafted him. I know he missed some game due to injury. He had five rushing touchdowns and just one touchdown through the air. That's the same as Latavius Murray, who he's sharing that backfield with in New Orleans. We saw absolute dominance from Kamara just a year ago when he was second only to Todd Gurley in terms of touchdowns on the ground with 14 of those. It feels like the pendulum has swung too far in both directions over the last two years for Kamara. Are you projecting him to land you know, somewhere in the middle, kind of find that, that mean uh, in terms of his touchdown efficiency this year? Yeah, definitely. Kamara's an interesting case. I mean, if you just, if you just follow Kamara on Twitter... I mean, you would have think that, like, he was total trash and unplayable based on, like, the things that people are saying. But at the end of the day, he still finished, like, as the RB9. Um, and he was not TD dependent at all. Like, and he was, like, way below his historical average in terms of TD efficiency. Um, and we know he can store t- TDs, right? That's the thing. He w- he used to be a TD monster. He's on a great offense. Uh, New Orleans Saints have the top uh, run-blocking O-line. So, you know, when we look at it, like, why did he, why did he falter? And I think a big reason for it is because of that high ankle sprain. I think we learned this year, like, high ankle sprains are no joke for running backs. Um, I, I myself was way too optimistic about guys like Kamara and, and Barkley coming back from high ankle sprains. It takes time for them to adjust. Um, so I think giving Kamara that full offseason to heal, and if he comes back fully healthy, he's still locked into my top five running backs. Um, he's still got 80-something catches. He's had like 81 catches every single year he's been in the league. Um, so obviously that's really great floor, uh, floor. So the ceiling just comes from the touchdowns. And we, if I look at his historical average, he basically converted at a 35.4% inside 10 and 48.1% inside 5. So he's basically 14% and 10% under his historical average. Um, so even if he just goes back to his average, uh, you're going to see those touchdowns go up, and that's going to push him up into that upper echelon. Uh, and hopefully, if he's able to play a full season, obviously, that's also also good. Yeah, and to your point, that high ankle sprain, I think, was really bothering him. We saw the last two weeks of the season, he scored uh, two touchdowns on the ground in each of those games. So you've got to think that what we saw with Barkley and then what we saw with Kamara as they came off of those high ankle sprains, that it did take some time to get back from those injuries. One thing that really interests me about Kamara is that he played 69% of snaps in 2019, which was actually ninth amongst running backs. And the way people are talking about, like, oh, he's losing time to Latavius Murray and losing touches and this and that, I expected him to be much lower in terms of snaps played, but he's still on the field uh, almost all the time. Like you said, he's a threat uh, through the air as well. So Kamara is definitely a guy that I am buying and I am excited for heading into 2020. Yeah, and he's also like, you know, he's always on the field in those high leverage situations, you know, like close to the goal line. Um, And the thing with snaps is like, unless you're Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley or like one of the four workhorses, like everyone's going to split time, right? So what you want to do is you want to make sure you find guys on good offenses who are efficient with their touches. And that's exactly what guys like Kamara and Aaron Jones are. And I don't even think I would want Kamara to have like an 80% workload. You know, he's not really built for it and he's efficient enough where he can produce at an elite level without it. Fair enough. I like that. And and 
Talk about another guy that we've seen be elite last year and kind of fall a little bit, at least in some people's eyes. It's Leonard Fournette. Let's talk about him. He finishes the RB7 in PPR leagues, finished sixth in rushing yards, seventh in total rushing attempts. So certainly the volume was there for him. Nearly had three touchdowns all season long. No running back in that top 10 had fewer than eight total touchdowns. Fournette, to me, seems like an obvious candidate for touchdown positive regression. And another thing to point out about Fournette is that he played 16 games this year after being labeled injury prone over his past couple seasons. And coming into 2020, he's entering a contract year for his rookie contract. Should we be buying Fournette and drafting him as one of those top running backs, uh, top eight running backs, I should say, in redraft? Yeah, Fournette is an interesting case. Um, when I was digging into him, like his TD conversion rate was pretty comical. Um, he converted at a 13% rate inside the 10 uh, and at a 37% inside the 5. And both of those are well below his historical averages. Um, he's 25% below his historical average for inside the 10 and 15% below his historical average from inside the 5. Um, but I wanted to kind of look at like why this is happening. Um, so I think from a talent perspective, like he's done it before. So usually my base assumption is that it doesn't come down to talent. And what it really comes down to is his O-line. Um, the O-line for the Jags have been on a steep, steep decline since his first season. So in his rookie season in 2017, he had the 13th best run blocking O-line. That dropped to the 21st in 2018, and correspondingly, his conversion rates also dropped significantly. And then this year, they were the sixth worst uh, O-line, run blocking O-line in the NFL. So you see another precipitous drop off this year. So I think that's a huge factor that does go into it. Um, Not having an O-line is is not good. And if we look at to the top TD scorers and Aaron Jones and, and Derrick Henry, as good as they've been, their O-lines have been equally elite and equally good. Um, and I'm not sure that is an improving situation going into next year. Um, I haven't looked at their contract situations and, or, and what their draft capital is, but that's definitely going to be an issue that holds them back. So I, I wouldn't expect him to uh, positively regress to his historical mean because his O-line is absolute garbage. Um, and also their offense is just not good, right? They have a lot of problems moving the ball. Um, I joked about this with my friend, but like, you know, when you're playing, when you're watching the Jaguars play this year, you almost don't even need to tune in until the second half because they basically have no offense for the entire first half of football um, until they're playing catch up. So I think, like, from a regression perspective, the numbers say, yes, he's going to absolutely positively regress. But I don't think it's going to be a, as drastic as people think um, because of those limiting factors. And then also, like, I don't know about all these, like, character issues. I mean, you saw him put, put his O-line on blast on Twitter earlier in the year. Um, so not sure if that's the best way to get your guys to block for you. Um, but, yeah, there's just a lot of question marks uh, that I have with Fournette. Um, the other one being that this is crazy, but he got a hundred targets this year. Um, and Fournette's a capable pass catcher, but he's by no means a weapon in the pass catching field. So what I'm worried about is a similar, uh, career arc to Zeke where Zeke got a ton of dump off passes when there weren't enough weapons. But if the Jaguars go out and add some weapons on the perimeter and DJ Chark continues to develop as a wide receiver, I think those targets are going to come down. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. There's definitely a lot of things to keep an eye out uh, for the Jaguars this offseason. The first, like you mentioned, being that offensive line. Let's see who they pick up in free agency. Let's see who they draft, see if they can improve that situation. But the interesting thing to me about the, the pass catchers that you just mentioned, Jacksonville was 26th in the league in scoring this year, so they were a terrible offense. But you do have to think if they do bring in some weapons in the passing game, maybe that offense can improve if Chark continues to take some steps forward. And maybe he gets some more opportunities near the goal line, given his, his efficiency will need to improve and get back uh, closer to that mean. But Fournette played 88% of snaps this year. You've got to think that's not sustainable. He's He's not really been a guy who's played – um, that high of a snap percentage in the past just because they normally have some sort of pass catch, catching option uh, because he hasn't been that pass catching guy and that's not really a skill set so I think w- there's a couple things we need to keep an eye out um, with this team it's the offensive line it's do they bring in help uh, elsewhere on offense weapon wise and then do they draft or sign any kind of pass catch pass catching option in the backfield because how those things balance out is probably going to give us uh, our best possible projection for Fournette moving forward. But it's tough to kind of predict at this point with so many uncertainties. Yeah, yeah, definitely. On Football Outsiders, you look at their O-line ratings. You have Jacksonville at 27th. The next guy we're going to talk about here actually is a pretty solid O-line in Cleveland. Let's talk about Nick Chubb. You know, he he was a guy that a lot of people thought underperformed in terms of, of touchdowns as well. He finishes the RB8 in PPR leagues, had eight touchdowns on the ground, zero through the air. He's not really getting that pass catching work, especially when Kareem Hunt is in there taking some of that volume away. Not really like, uh, you know, he was getting a ton of work before Kareem Hunt came in. He was third this year in rushing attempts with 298. That's five away from Derrick Henry for first. So we know the volume's there for Nick Chubb. You would think that with a five-yard per carry average, he would just be a red zone machine. Maybe it's the Browns' offense, which might look different with Stefanski now at the helm. But based on 2019, should we be expecting positive regression for Nick Chubb? Or does the Browns' play calling and Kareem Hunt still being there kind of scare you away from saying, hey, he's just going to get some more trips to the end zone just because he has a better line and, and the volume? Yeah, I think Nick Chubb is definitely a candidate for positive regression. If you if you just look at last year, I mean, he had no problems getting into the end zone. He was converting within five at 55%, which is above league average, converting inside 10 at around 30%. And he just absolutely plummeted this year. Um, he converted within 10 at 12.5%, so that's 17% lower. And he converted within five at 18%. That's almost 30-something percent lower. So it's just a crazy swing in from a variance perspective for Chubb. And, you know, I watched a lot of the Browns games just because I, I had a lot of Baker and, and Chubb on my teams. But it was like, I mean, Freddie Kitchens is honestly one of the worst play callers I've ever seen. Um, Facts. It was, it, was, it was so obvious that he's out of his out of his league in terms of, like, being a head coach. There's no world where he should be a play caller. Like, that guy should be coaching pop warner like not the nfl he's completely underqualified and if you just watch him on the goal line like all he did was all he did was line him up in power eye formation and just try and get chubb to run it in and obviously as we know that's not the way to do it because you know they know what's coming right any defense that knows what's coming you take away your advantage as an offense so it's way better to run um run some spread uh even in the red zone so that nick chubb actually has space and he's an incredible running back, um, even even in tight spaces. So I'm not worried at all from a talent perspective. Um, you brought up a good point about Kareem Hunt. Um, I actually don't think Kareem Hunt's going anywhere. He's a restricted free agent. Um, and it'll probably cost like Cleveland less than $2 million to match any offer from any other team. 
And for someone his level and his talent, it just makes sense. You know, they can have like one of the most talented backfields in the NFL. We know Stefanski loves to run the ball. Um, so I think there'll be plenty of volume for both. <clears throat> and I think Chubb will definitely get hit with some positive regression and add a couple TDs in that TD column. And, you know, he was also the rushing leader before Derrick Henry went crazy that, that last week. Might be a uh, Ingram, Kamara type of situation in that backfield next year. Alex, anything to add on, on Nick Chubb? Uh, not really anything to add. Just just one more thing. He played 68% of the snaps in 2019, and he was actually out-snapped or tied in snaps with Hunt in four of the eight games when Hunt was active. So just a couple other uh, little stats to add there, but, but nothing else. I think you guys nailed it. So last running back we're going to talk about here, this guy went absolutely bananas back in 2018, kind of set the meta for running backs. We're seeing so much more usage in the screen game, and a lot of teams are copying this now. We've kind of talked about him from afar, kind of indirectly here, but it's Todd Gurley. He finishes the RB14 in PPR leagues. He was tied for fourth in total rushing touchdowns at 12. That was something that actually caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, and, and in 2018, he had 21 total touchdowns. 17 of those were on the ground. So we definitely saw him regress a bit. But is that limited? You know, is that due to maybe McVay pulling down his stat count or limiting his carries? You know, What do you see as the projection for Gurley? To me, something a guy that's really, really hard to project. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? I mean... This time, like last year, Todd Gurley was the 1.01, like unanimously across the board, and for good reason. He was an absolute beast. Um, and the fall from grace has been a pretty dramatic one. Um, obviously, everyone knows about his arthritic knee issue, um, and that was clear that they were trying to limit his touches early on in the year. Later on, you started seeing more of that workload we're used to seeing from Todd Gurley, so that's like a good sign. But like you said, he is one of the most TD-dependent uh, running backs this year. He scored 12 touchdowns, and he only had 1,050 yards from scrimmage. He didn't even hit 1,000 rushing yards, so it's just it's just completely wild that he was able to do that. Um, and I think what it comes down to is the fact that the Rams just aren't that good anymore, right? I mean, when he was scoring like 20 touchdowns and putting up all these, all these massive stats, the Rams were arguably the best, uh, if not one of the best, um, offenses in the league and that's just no longer the case um they lost a couple key guys on the offensive line uh which was huge um and they're just like not able to run that same 11 personnel offense where they're able to spread the field and get girly into space they're, they're running more 12 personnel this year which means that they have two tight ends on the field because they just need help blocking on the o-line um but from an efficiency perspective uh when I went in, when I went into this, I would have expected Todd Gurley to be less efficient than he was in his prior two years with McVay, and that was not the case. Um, he actually performed above his average for the last two years in terms of rushing red zone and receiving red zone efficiency. So that scares me because um, that doesn't make sense, right? It's a little bit counterintuitive. You, your O line is worse, your offense is worse, um, yet you're converting uh, touchdowns at a higher rate. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for him to fall there going into next season. And I don't think the O-line is going to be improving much. Um, you know, Les Snead over there has completely, like, mismanaged that team into oblivion. Like, they have no draft capital. They don't have any first-round picks until 2022, I believe, after the Jalen Ramsey trade. So I just don't see how they're going to actually improve that O-line. Um, and they're going to basically just be much of the same 
next year as they were this year. So Todd Gurley is one that I'm really scared of. And in fact, I think he, out of all the guys here, I had him pegged as probably the number one top TD regression candidate. Um, but yeah, so just to give you a sense, like the Rams offensive line went from first overall to 19th overall in one year. So that's a drastic fall off. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, I mean, that's a great point you bring up. They don't really have a bunch of options to make any um, upgrades on that team. We saw them these past couple of years kind of go into win now mode with some of the big trades that they pulled off, um, some of the big signings they had, bringing in guys like Brandon Cooks, bringing in guys like Jalen Ramsey, like you mentioned. So the Rams are really in a precarious situation where they've got some players that, that aren't quite looking so hot now as they did a couple of years ago with, with Cooks and Gurley. Um, even Jared Goff has struggled. So, I, I mean, this year, if you watch the Rams, Jared Goff looked like a deer in the headlights in the in the pocket. So uh, one thing that did surprise me, though, about Gurley is that he actually played 75% of their snaps this year, which was sixth amongst running backs. And early on in the year, I know it felt like he was barely on the field at all. I actually had him in a couple leagues early on, and I watched their games, and I'm just like, get this guy on the field. And it seems like once they went into win-now mode, uh, when they realized, like, oh, crap, we could actually miss the playoffs, <laughs> they had him out there a lot more often. So I think his snap count could stay high next season because maybe they'll learn from that mistake. But to your point, uh, just with that offensive line and some of the struggles they've had, I don't know that this offense is really going to improve that much next season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we might see Todd Gurley as one where maybe he stays just as efficient, but everything else kind of around him in terms of, of red zone and scoring – takes a step down I feel like he's one that he might be sneaky right maybe Big Vay comes out from day one of the season says we're going to just give him our standard Todd Gurley workload we're going to use him a ton and you like what you get from the first eight games from him we might see the same thing again so I feel like Gurley has a huge range of outcomes you know and a guy like that I'm probably going to try to stay away from him unless he just completely falls in redraft uh, in terms of dynasty Mike what are you doing if you have a Todd Gurley right now um, I'm, I'm trying to sell, but it, it is a tough sell. Um, there aren't many buyers out there for Gurley, but hopefully someone is, you know, kind of getting enamored with his counting stats this year and says, look, he's still an RB1. He's still putting up a bunch of touchdowns. Um, his current ADP in Dynasty per DLF is RB16. So he's just on that fringe RB1, RB2, um, RB2 placing. But I think what you need to remember is, like, there's going to be a ton of talent coming from the 2020 class um so in my personal rankings like he's down closer to like rb20 absolutely i think that's a good take there so that wraps up our running back touchdown regression mike thank you so much for coming on and dropping some of those hot stats on us definitely changed my perspective on a couple players before we let you get we let you go you know it is playoff time we got two big games on the slate uh here this weekend We're recording here saturday the 18th uh, so let's talk about some of the the playoff games coming up. I'm just interested in here uh, in hearing who you like in some of these matchups. So let's talk Titans coming into Arrowhead playing the Chiefs, seven and a half point over under in uh, or seven and a half point uh, favorite uh, by Kansas City in that game. I believe it's like a 52 point over under. Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Uh, but who do you have taking this one? I, I mentioned it on our podcast uh, earlier this week. I could see this one being the uh, upset again for Tennessee. Yeah, I you know I kind of agree with you. Tennessee is built to beat a team like Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City has been pretty damn good in the past game, um, ever since probably about midway through the season, um, and they are vulnerable through the ground. And as we know, like the Titans just love to run the ball. 
Um, Titans have a top run blocking unit, so I think they can dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, Chiefs also have some pretty key injuries on that D-line, which is going to come in big uh, come playoff time. So I think uh, Tennessee is actually a sneaky upset in this matchup. Um, I could see something playing out similar to what we saw in the Baltimore game. And, you know, Titans actually have already beat the Chiefs once this year, so it's definitely within the realm of possibility. I think the 7.5 spread is actually pretty big. Um, I personally, I, I, I bet sports a lot, so I bet the plus 7.5 for the Titans. Um, so I'm actually rooting for them this week. Yeah, I love that hot take. I think uh, there's no way I can go uh, away from Kansas City in this one, but I do think Tennessee is a little bit dangerous. To me, it all comes down to Tannehill and A.J. Brown. I don't think he's going to be able to throw for less than 100 yards. I think the Titans are going to have to score maybe 30-plus points in Arrowhead to beat the Chiefs. I think it's possible, but it's too hard for me to go away from Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek and that Chiefs offense after what we saw last week. Steph, what's your pick in this one? Yeah, I'm taking the Titans to win just by hair. At a minimum, I think they'll at least cover. Uh, they'll be within that 7.5 points there. And I'm with you. I, I do think we're going to see what the Titans are really made of. This is going to be a statement game uh, for Vrabel one way or another. We've already seen him make a couple of those, it feels like, in this playoffs. But, yeah, you know, if there's any team that can come back from a deficit, we know it's the Chiefs. They were down 24-0 to the Texans and ended up with a four-point lead at halftime. So we know, you know, no matter how much of a lead Tennessee puts up, you know, we talk about, hey, that's the team that's really good at holding on to a lead. They're built to play with a lead. You know, it'd be interesting to see if maybe they go down in this one, one or two touchdowns, if they have what it takes to to pull a couple drives together to come back. But let's switch over to the other game here. Green Bay going into the Bay to play San Francisco. I have the 49ers in this one by a mile, but Michael, tell, you who, tell us who you got. Uh, I got the 49ers too. Um, I think that their D-line is just absolutely dominant. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout like last time when Rodgers went in there and they just totally got spanked. But um, I do think that the Niners are going to are gonna take this one home just because, I mean, they have a great run game. Um, Kyle Shanahan's one of the best at scheming for his running backs and getting his players into space and making big plays. And Green Bay is one of the worst run defenses in the league. So, again, it's just a, it's a matchup where... The San Francisco strengths uh, can really exploit the weaknesses of the Packers. Yeah, I agree with you there, Mike. I've got San Francisco in this game. To me, San Francisco has a really strong identity as a football team. They're a great running team. They can pass when they need to, and we all know what that defense does. And then on the Green Bay side, I just don't think they've really been consistent in any area of football this year. Their pass game, we've seen it stall out. Uh, For example, Week 17 in Detroit, they're playing for a bye, and they can barely get past the Lions. Their run game has been inconsistent. They have scored a lot of touchdowns on the ground, but from an efficiency standpoint, uh, they've really struggled there. And then defensively, their pass rush is kind of hit or miss. I know Zadarius Smith has been effective, but um, they can get beat on the ground, and they don't really do anything extremely well anywhere right now. So to me, the one thing they do have is Aaron Rodgers, and if they're going to win, he's going to have to go off. But, yeah, I've got San Francisco in this one. They're playing great right now. They're a hot football team. Uh, I've got that Chiefs 49er Super Bowl. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, it's going to be exciting either way. But let's play a little bit of what if here. So, Mike, let's say – sorry, Alex. Let's go Titans 49ers in the Super Bowl. You know, we think 49ers are going to be the favorites in that one. Who do you like in that game? I think I personally would go 49ers, but I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, I think it's going to be close. Uh, the My heart 
want to say the Titans just because I think it'd be an incredible comeback story for Ryan Tannehill to just go in and, and unseat like three back-to-back heavy favorites and then win the Super Bowl. But um, San Francisco does definitely pose some problems. But I will say, um, at least early on in the year, um, San Francisco was a bit of a run funnel team. And so from that perspective, you can see the Titans matching up relatively well against them. But it's going to be really hard for, I think, Tannehill to move the ball against the defense. Um, Their unit is great at run blocking, but I don't think they're nearly as elite from a pass blocking perspective, pass pro perspective. Alex, give me your take on Titans 49ers for Super Bowl 54 in Miami. I mean, if it comes down to that, I think I've got to go with the Titans as well. We've seen this before. One thing that would remind me of is the Baltimore Ravens back in 2012. They snuck into the playoffs. They were 10-6 and with Joe Flacco at quarterback. And then in the playoffs, they beat Indianapolis. They went into Denver and beat Peyton Manning in double overtime. Uh, They went into New England and beat Brady. And then in that Super Bowl, it was the Harbaugh Bowl, and they were able to beat the 49ers. So if it comes down to that, you got to like the hot team. And in that case, I think it's the Titans, and that's kind of the underdog story and the narrative with Tannehill that we'd all be rooting for. Now, if it is your Chiefs going up against the 49ers, are you flipping your take there? Are you still going to say, um, or I'm sorry, are you not going to flip your take there? Are you going to stay with the AFC team here? I am. I think uh, I think the AFC teams both look really strong right now. The 49ers, I mean, they're a great team. But, I mean, if I think the Titans can go and beat the 49ers, I, I got to think the Chiefs can do it. I think this could be – I mean, I really do think this is Mahomes' year. Uh, we saw that scary injury earlier that almost derailed the whole thing, but we've never really seen anyone quite like Patrick Mahomes in this league, and and I think he's going to have uh, too big of an arm to lose in that game. Yeah, you hear J.J. Watt giving an interview after the Chiefs beat the Texans. He's like, man, usually when you apply pressure, you know, not 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 just sacks, but actually just applying pressure on an offensive line and a quarterback, you should say, hey, you know, they're going to be backing up, away from pressure, moving around in the pocket. That's going to affect the accuracy and the strength of their throws. They're like, man, when we're getting pressure on Mahomes, no matter where he is, he could be falling down, and he's still throwing 30, 40-yard dimes down the field. So, yeah, you think Mahomes is a pretty scary matchup for any defense. Um, I, I'm with you there. If they make it there, it could be, could be pretty interesting. Either way, man, this is going to be a heck of a, of a week, um, or weekend, I should say, and, and leading up to the Super Bowl, I'm, I'm so pumped up. Uh, now, we'll send you off here, Alex. Give Michael his rapid-fire round. All right, Mike, this is going to be 8 to 10 questions, uh, just rapid-fire style. We want you to just say really the first answer that comes to your head. Are you ready? Let's get it. All right, first question. PPR or half PPR? PPR. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good of a driver are you? Probably an 8.5. Pretty good. All right, would you rather speak every language or be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals. What is your favorite day of the week? Friday. What is something you could eat for a week straight? Oh, man. Hot pot. Nike, Adidas, or Under Armour? Nike. Who is the best quarterback in the NFL? Last question. Mahomes. Take me home, Pat Mahomes. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Dr. Doolittle style talking to some animals. I like it. (laughs) Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on here, man. Any any final words, anything you want to say, anything you want to plug, plug your socials, anything new coming out? Absolutely, guys, go follow him on Twitter, at MikeMeUpP. It's been a great follow. been following along with you, um, not only the stats, but also just some of the comedic banter. But anything to say to the people before we let you go? 
yeah i mean appreciate you guys having me on here um super awesome getting to chat with you guys um in terms of like what to look out for i'm gonna have a ton of content coming out um for dlf i write a bunch of articles um, i'm also probably going to partner up with uh, one of my another one of my buddies to put out some dynasty video content over the course of the off season um I'm, I'm usually pretty dynasty focused because you know there is no off season in dynasty and i love this part of the this part of the season so just be on the lookout for that stuff follow me on twitter you know if you have questions hit me up man i'm just literally on there having a good time and just talking to anyone who wants to chat well thanks again you have a great rest of your day great weekend thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time